If you have a Bible already, you've got a Bible in your hands, open up to the book of Genesis. If you have an LWY Bible, you can actually open up to page 25 and 26. I don't, you don't even have to search. I got you. Page 25 and 26. Really 25. Hey, you know what? Page 25. Page 25 of the LWY Bible. Uh, chapter 32. Genesis 32. Sorry, I didn't even tell the people who don't have it. Sorry. Genesis 32, Genesis 32, we're going to read the whole chapter, Woo! get your reading glass out people, Genesis chapter 32, if you got it, say got it, that was too- if you got it, say got it, if you don't, say don't, don't. too many don'ts in this room, come on. Genesis 32, page 25. Got it, got it. Okay. Well, hey, I want to talk to you tonight. I kind of want to lay my heart out if, uh, if for an analogy. I really want to lay my heart out on the table, and I want to talk to you tonight about what God's doing in me. Because uh, can, I, can I get a witness that God's always doing a work? Like, he never stops. You're not done. You're never, he's never finished with you. Like, if you got a pulse, then you've got a purpose. Come on. Somebody say amen. God's never done with you. You've got breath in your lungs. He ain't finished yet, and he's still working something out in you. And so I want to share from the word of God tonight, and I want to share something that the Lord's doing in me. And uh, I believe, and I'm confident enough to say, like, I am valuable in God's hands. Like, when I, when I, Wesley Wimberly, Wesley James Wimberly, when I'm, in put, when I'm put into the hands of God, when I say, Lord, I submit myself to you, I'm willing, I'm available, I am valuable, I am powerful, I'm a gun, I'm a young gun in the hands of God. Come on, I am. And that could sound like, geez, who's this arrogant, like, like balloon head up here? Like, no. But can I say something? Like, that's you. That's you. Whoever you are, whoever, whoever, like, the status you think you are, if you think you're, you know, really holy and righteous and you read your Bible every day, or you feel like you are just like, I am in the pits making bad decisions. No one knows it, but I do. Like, I don't care where you are on the spectrum. If you are in the hands of God, you are valuable. And if you let him, if you let him work through you, man, he wants to do crazy things through you that you wouldn't even expect or imagine. Ephesians 3.20 says this, that, that our God wants to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And he wants to do that through you. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you don't know me, I like to yell and get passionate. And uh, what I want to talk about tonight, main point, I'm going to put up on the screen. Hopefully, Jonathan, got you. Uh, You are too valuable a vessel in God's hands to edit who he has made you to be. You are too, I'm going to say, you are too valuable a vessel in God's hands to edit who he has made you to be. That's my struggle. That is my struggle, people. Like, I, I know. What up, Jay? All right. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot. Side note. We're stopping this right now. Jay, you don't move an inch. You stay right there. This is Jay Foley, everybody. And Jay, it is Jay's birthday today. No, you, you stay right there. You don't move. So what are we going to do? We're going to sing happy birthday, Okay. On the count of three. One, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Ow! Happy birthday to you. Happy 
Happy birthday, dear Jameson. Happy birthday. You're welcome. Come on, let's give it up for Jay Folly. What just happened over there? Gosh dang it. Oh man. You are too valuable a vessel. Everybody say too valuable. Why don't, you, why don't you touch your neighbor, not in a weird way, you guys, okay? Just a shoulder tap. Shoulder tap and say, I'm too valuable. Hey, all I said was say, I'm too valuable. Why are you guys still talking? I'm just kidding. You are too valuable a vessel in God's hands to edit who he has made you to be. Can I just tell you and be vulnerable for a second? I care too much about what people think. Anybody with me? I care too much about what people think of me. I often am paralyzed by what people think of me. And because of that, I walk into a room and I edit myself, right? I edit myself to be what, what I think other people want me to be. I edit myself because I'm, I feel like I'm dictated by what people think of me. And, but but what, what the word says, what the word would confirm is that I'm too valuable a vessel in God's hands. I'm too valuable a, God, a vessel in God's hands to edit who God has made me to be. And I edit myself based on the room that I am, based on the people. I, I often want to be recognized. I often want to be uh, recognized for, for success reasons or I want to be perceived by a, a group of people or certain people in a certain way. Or, or I, I, I do a lot of things, honestly, to be real with you, I do a lot of things out of fear. Fear of what people say. Fear of what people might think. And, and I, I can't live that way. I don't have the time to live that way because God wants to do a work in me. God wants to do a work in you. And you don't have the time to sit around in fear, to sit around caring too much what people think, because really the only opinion that matters is God's. And so we don't need to sit around thinking about other people's opinions of us because God's the only opinion that matters. And somebody say amen. amen. It really is. So I want to run you through just the context of Jacob prior to the scripture that we're going to read tonight. And there's a lot of stuff going on in Jacob's life. Like he hasn't had the, the best go around uh, growing up. And he's come across a lot of stuff. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis 32. But before that, I want to run you down Jacob's life story. That sound good? Uh, come on. Does that sound good? Cool. Okay. I want to start at the birth of Jacob. So Jacob has a brother. Everybody say brother. Jacob has a brother. His name is Esau. And right from the beginning, there's, there's stuff going on. There's competition between him and his brother. It literally says, because they're twins, at the birth, coming out of the womb, Jacob's got Esau's heel trying to get out first, right? That's a super weird story, but it's in the Bible, and God wanted it there for a reason. But Jacob and Esau, there's competition after competition. It says that, that, that Esau was a skillful hunter, Esau was a skillful hunter, and Jacob was a quiet man. He stayed in the tents, which, English translation, he stayed home and worked around the house. So there's definitely a difference between Esau and Jacob. Esau is the firstborn, and Jacob is the second son. So there, in no way uh, does Jacob deserve the, the, the rights of firstborn, because he's not the firstborn. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit tonight. So back in that time, there's things called birthrights. There's things called blessings. So when your dad died... When your dad died, you received a blessing, an allotted portion of the land and all that your dad owned. 
And so what Jacob did, Jacob's name literally means deceiver or, or, or de- I don't know what the, the other, it's like deceiver or, uh, what's the other one? Like tr- pretty much like his name means trickster, essentially, in the original language. And so what Jacob does is, and with the help of his mom, he deceives his dad to go around Esau to get what was rightfully Esau's. And so Jacob deceives Isaac, his dad, and Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau. And once you do that blessing, it's signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. No, that's a song. Um, No, so Isaac, Isaac, when he gives that blessing to the son, that that is signed, you are given, you are given the, the very birthright, the very allotted portion, inheritance, if you will, from the father. And so Esau is pissed like any firstborn would be like you took what was mine I'm I'm angry I'm going to kill you right that's what you would do if your brother or sister took your birthright no not really so what does Jacob do like any proud man would do he flees he runs and Jacob flees from Esau to a distant distant relative can I just say that that often we're a generation I'm included in this, a generation that runs from our problems. Yeah? Can I get it? Yeah. We're a generation that runs from our problems, but what if we became a generation that wasn't known for that? What if we became a generation that wasn't being apathetic and, and, and lazy? And not, I don't want to put that on you, but that's what, how older generations see us. And I, th- I think there's so much more for this generation. Me and, like, we, we have so much more to step into, to, to be known for a generation that loves Jesus, for a generation that seeks after Jesus and runs after Jesus, not runs from our problems, but we run to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's just a side note. And so, sorry, there's a lot of context here because we're going to read a lot of scripture. And so Jacob flees from Esau to Laban. I promise you this will all make sense in the end. Jacob flees from Esau to Laban, and essentially he sees this girl, and he's like, shoot, that girl is pretty. And, uh, and uh, he sees this girl, her name's Rachel. And Rachel has a sister, her name's Leah, but Jacob's like, I don't want Leah, I want Rachel. And... Um, so in that, in that time, what you would do is you would work for the father of the, that, that girl to, to win her, to be able to marry her. So what does he do? He agrees with Laban that he's going to work for seven years, seven years to, to win the right to marry Rachel. And so what does he do? He works seven years, and he's like, okay, I've worked seven years. Give me Rachel. I've done what you've asked. And so... Laban's like, okay, and back then it was dark, there wasn't any lights, so instead, Laban gave Leah instead of Rachel, and they woke up the next morning, Jacob's like, what the heck, this is not Rachel, this is Leah, <laughs> and so Jacob, obviously angry, goes to Laban and's like, what the heck, dude, I just worked seven years, and you just tricked me in the middle of the night, and I just, now I'm married to Leah, I didn't want to be married to Leah, I want to be married to Rachel, and so what does he do? He works another seven years for Rachel. So he ends up working 14 years, and now he's got two wives. Wouldn't suggest that, okay? Wouldn't suggest that. And so now he's married to Leah, then Rachel. And essentially, Jacob's just really angry with Laban, right? Right here, right here. Catch me, catch me. I want you to hear this. Jacob's really upset with Laban. They're like, they are not doing good. But then they eventually make amends, and Jacob heads back to Esau. 
Jacob heads back to where he comes. Jacob heads back home, essentially. Jacob goes back home, but home meant more than just like a geographical location. Home meant a bunch of past decisions. Home meant like, home meant dealing with the actual identity of like, you're not the firstborn, you're the secondborn. And like, this dude wants to kill me. So you're going back to someone who's like, not happy with you, like gonna greet you with a kiss, but, but he's gonna kill me. And so there's a lot of fear in Jacob, and that's where we pick up. The title of this section is Jacob Fears Esau. Are you tracking with me? Yeah. Awesome. For those of you who didn't respond, I'm just going to take that as a yes. Jacob Fears Esau. Okay, so we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read for a little bit, and as we read, I'm going to kind of break it down. Sound good? Awesome. Verse 1, it says this, Jacob went on his way back home. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Manaheim, or however you pronounce that. That sounds right to me. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother. Catch that. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother. So right from the get-go, he is he's literally making a fear-based decision. Do you catch that? He's literally making a fear-based decision. Esau is going to kill me. So what am I going to do? I'm going to send people in front of me to greet him first. Right? He's right from the beginning. He's making a fear-based decision. No, you go first. God has called you to be a people to live like you've got nothing to lose. God is calling us to be a people to live like we've got nothing to lose. And Jacob here is missing that truth. He's missing that point. And he's saying... I, if I go first, I'm going to die. He's making a decision out of fear. He's choosing, he's choosing how to live his life. He's editing who he knows he is based on his fear of Esau killing him. So what does he do? He acts out of that, and he sends people before him in hopes of winning Esau. And can I tell you, we don't got nothing to lose with Jesus on our side. We can live a life with nothing to lose, running after what he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. Okay. Amen. Verse 4, it says, I'll start back in the first three. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brothers, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, fox, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may f- find favor in your sight. Everybody say favor. So what does Jacob do? Jacob says, I have, I have animals, I have servants, I have all these things. Maybe that, maybe that will win over Esau, and I'll win favor in his sight. Do you ever do that? Do you ever try to win favor in people's sight? Yes? Yes? It often looks like approval. You want the approval of others. Do we ever look for the approval of others? Yes? Just me? No. Come on. We all look for the approval of others. Can I get a response? You do look for the approval of others, right? Because we all do. We, there's a longing in us to be approved, to be affirmed, to be recognized. There's a longing in us to be defined approval. But can I tell you, man's approval means nothing. Man's approval means nothing. Yet we find our oxygen from it. We live off of man's approval. And when we don't get it, we die, we, I mean, we die without it. We live off man's approval and we die 
without it. We edit how we live and we edit the things that we, that, that we do based on who is in the room and what their opinion of us is. And that's what Jacob's doing here. He's saying, maybe if I do all these things, maybe if I, if I act a certain way, maybe, like this is the application for us, maybe if I act a certain way, maybe if I do all the right things, maybe if I wear a certain thing, or maybe if I show off a certain thing, maybe I'll win favor in people's sight. Maybe I'll get the recognition that I'm longing for. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Because it sounds familiar to me. Man, I care way too much about what people think I look like, what I say. Like, I care way too much. And I edit the way I live. I, I let what their opinion of, his, of me dictate the way I live. And that's Jacob. Jacob is letting Esau's opinion of him, or what he thinks Esau's opinion of him is, dictate the way that he lives. Can I tell you this truth? God's opinion of you won't matter till people's opinions don't. God's opinion of you won't matter till people's opinions don't. I think I can change that a little bit. God won't become real to you as long as people's opinions get in the way. You won't actually have an, a, a real relationship, just you and him, when people's opinions are in the way. What people think of you is more important. God's not going to become real to you. He's just going to be this far-off, distant thing that, that opinion after opinion are, are in, in, in between you and him. God's opinion of you won't matter till people's opinions don't. Okay, let's keep going. Verse six. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. Instant fear in Jacob. He's like, what the heck? This guy's coming to meet me. And it says, and there are 400 men with him. Even worse. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. What the heck? Jacob is literally, like, he's creating a fail-safe. So, like, okay, if all these people die, we'll live in this camp. Like, he's literally, he's literally setting himself up to fail. He's literally setting himself up to lose. And can I tell you, I think we do this with God. I think we have a God basket, right? And then I think we have, like, this fail-safe basket of how we live our life. Like, I think we have this, like, this God version, but, it, like, I'm going to keep this stuff in my life. I'm going to keep doing these things because if this God thing doesn't work out, I'm going to have this, like, fail safe. I'm going to have this, like, like, it's like we keep our options open. And I think I, uh, I, I do that a lot. Like, we, are, we all do that a lot, but we all do that a lot, especially, you know, when, like, when you're like, uh, like hey, you want to hang out? And they're like, yeah, who's going? Or like, hey, you want to hang out? Like, uh, I don't know. When we try to keep our options open, that's literally what Jacob's doing. He's literally like, I don't know if this God thing is going to work. I don't know if this God thing is going to work. And so I'm going to leave this fail-safe option. And God is calling you to be who he's called you to be. He's calling you to do what he's called you to do. And we've got to stop leaving our options open, waiting for something better to come along. Because I think that's often what we do. We need to start making God all we need, 
not just a fail-safe for when we think we need it. We need to stop making God all, we need to start, sorry, that's not right. We need to start making God all you need, not just a fail-safe for when you think you need him. Okay, keep moving. Are we tracking? Are you good? Yeah? It's a lot of scripture. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I have crossed this Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Jacob's praying, right? It's, but this is more of like a, a fear prayer because he's like, God, if you, like, I need you to show up and I need you to deliver me. I'm not worthy of all these things because of these past decisions I've made. I'm not worthy of this, but Lord, I need you to show up because I'm super, super afraid of Esau killing me and I need you to show up and help me. And I think he, he prays a fear prayer. Has anybody prayed a fear prayer before? Like, it, it feels like it's more, like, tainted by, like, our fear than it is about, like, how good our God is. Like, we pray, like, man, like, man, God, this is really difficult and this is really hard, but, like, I think you're going to show up, right? But I don't, think that's, I don't think that's what prayer is for. I think prayer, I think prayer should be our first resort, not our last resort, amen? And that's what he's doing. He's making it his last resort. His prayer Though, though, though God used it and God's going to show up, it wasn't from the right motive. And I think we do that often. I think we, again, this is the, the, all the way back to the editing, that, that I'm a valuable vessel in God's hands, but sometimes I edit the way I pray based on if I think God's going to show up or not. I edit the way I pray based on, based on all these different things, based on fear, based on all these different things. I edit the way I pray. Keep moving. Verse 13. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys. This is a huge gift. 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servant every drove, which is just like a fancy word for cattle. Every drove by itself and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? Then you shall say, they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are present, sent to my Lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. Catch this. For he thought... I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed ahead of him, and he himself stayed the night in the camp. So not only does he send people in front of him out of this fear-based decision, but he sends presents in front of him, hoping that, like, maybe this donkey is going to make Esau not kill me. Maybe this goat, maybe this milking camel. I don't even know what a milking camel is. What, what's the difference between a normal camel and a milking camel? It's like a cow. The milks? <laughs> it's got milk? 
Anyways, he sends these presents ahead. Maybe, maybe if I just send these presents ahead, Esau will accept me. Man, how relatable. Maybe if I just, maybe if I just do these certain things, maybe if I just edit the way I live just a little bit, maybe people will accept me. Maybe this one girl will accept me. Maybe this one boy will accept me. And then we miss out on the opportunities that God has right in front of us because we're so caught up in what's beside us and to the left and to the right. And we miss the opportunity to be a valuable vessel in God's hands because we edit and we send and we do all these things to maybe be accepted by your Esau, whoever that is. Verse 22. This is where it gets real heated. <laughs> Just like, oh, I do that because they're going to wrestle. <laughs> they actually do wrestle. I'm not kidding. Verse 22. The same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children. Ah, oh, man, that's a lot of children. You want 11 children, babe? <laughs> All right, here we go. And his 11 children and, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. Everybody say alone. alone. Can I be real with you for a second? I think we have a lot of voices in our life. I think we have too many voices in our life. Well, no, I try take that back. I think we listen to too many voices in our life. Whether that's the wrong crowd, whether that's, whether that's social media, whether that's, honestly, uh, this is kind of risky, but maybe your parents. Like, and I think we have too many voices impacting our lives and impacting how we see ourselves. And so then now, now that I see myself differently based on whatever that is, I'm going to edit myself to actually reflect that. And what you do is you believe the lie. You make an agreement with this lie, and you begin to live like that. You begin to live as an edited version of you. And can I tell you, sometimes you just need to get alone. You need to get alone, just you and God. And sometimes that's what it takes to get to the end of yourself all by yourself to actually experience and encounter the living God. We are, in a, we are in a culture of nonstop, go, 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 always be surrounded by yourself because you don't want to be alone because maybe, be, maybe you'll get anxious or maybe you'll this. And sometimes I, I, think we need to, I think we need to contradict culture a bit. I think we need to get alone with Jesus. I think we need to turn that little, you know, that button on the top of our phones. I oh, know it's on the sides now. Gosh, man, I'm outdating myself. It's on the side. We need to hit that button on the side and we need to be alone. Some, I, I think some of you, like it scares you to be alone without your phone, without anything and just to spend time with Jesus. I think that scares you. Not all of you, but I think, there, I think there's some of you that ju that just scares the living bejesus, whatever it's called, out of you. I, re I really do. But I think for Jacob, he was so living his life dictated by what other people thought. He was so, he was, he was dictated by what other people thought, like said what Esau was going to do. He was so dictated by that, that what he needed was a moment 
all by himself with no one around, no, none, of his, none of his wives, none of his children, none of his goats, none, nothing. He needed to be all by himself so that he could experience God and be changed forever. And with how many voices, I mean, you're just inundated with voice after voice. And sometimes they're telling you things about you that aren't actually true and aren't actually lining up with what scripture says about you. And sometimes you need to get alone with Jesus and say, God, I need to hear from you. Because why? Because you're, you're the only opinion that matters. You're the only opinion that matters. And you might say, like, well, isn't there, like, another way to, like, really step into God's called me to be so I don't have to stop editing myself? Sometimes, I think for some of you, because of that fear of just being alone or, or maybe you were left by, by, by a parent, maybe, maybe you, you have a circumstance in your life that's caused you to, like, be so anxious of being alone. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the only thing that can cause you to actually experience Jesus like the real Jesus, like for you, not, not through the lens of the preacher, not through the lens of your friend, but experience it for you. Jacob was left alone. He was alone, and God wrestled him. I wish God could wrestle me. <laughs> you know why? Because I think it would be easier that way sometimes. Because, man, sometimes it's hard, to, it's hard, it's hard, and we get caught up in all these different voices that I think we miss God. I think we miss God because we have too many voices just in our ears, just telling us who to be and who not to be and what to say and what not to say. And we need to get alone with Jesus. And sometimes that's what we need. We need to be at the end of ourselves where it's just us and God. Jacob didn't have anybody he, didn't, he couldn't send people in front of him. He couldn't soften the blow with, with gifts and presents to, to appease God. No, it was literally just him and God. I'll keep reading. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. As he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Stop. The blessing that he's getting here, that he's longing for here. Right? Tie that back to the blessing that he stole and deceived his brother to get from his father. He's longing for the blessing. Jacob's longing for the blessing. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. See, what Jacob longed for was the blessing. And he got the fake blessing from his dad, through deception, through runarounds and pretending to be who he wasn't. And then when the real blessing came along, and the real blessing, the real blessing comes from being exactly who God's called you to be. 
The real blessing doesn't come from who you pretend to be. Someone, one of my favorite preachers said, God can't bless who you pretend to be. God can't bless who you edit yourself to be. God can only bless the real you, the, the end of your rope kind of you. And the real blessing, it, it's given, it's not earned, but Jacob was trying to earn it. And then when he finally got the real blessing, he got it in the most unlikeliest of ways. He got it paired with a weakness. He got it paired with an injury. And can I tell you, sometimes the blessing that you are longing for, the thing that you're longing for, to actually, to be able to walk in the things that God's called you to do and, and God's called you to be, come on, it comes in different ways than we think it does. Come on, the Bible says that God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. God's ways are higher than my ways. So sometimes when I'm trying to take these runarounds and trying to pretend to be who I'm not actually, I miss the fact that God wants to give me the real, real, tangible blessing. But it doesn't always come in the way that we think it does. And I think that weakness reminded him that the blessing wasn't all about him, wasn't all about Jacob, but it was actually all about God. It was actually all about him. You are too valuable a vessel in God's hands to edit who he's made you to be. So Jacob does all of that, right? He does all of that to gain this, this acceptance from Esau so that he doesn't die by the hand of Esau. Can I have the whoever played keys? Olivia, right? Thank you. He did all of this, and I think, man, I think we relate with Jacob. I relate with Jacob. Even with this message, man, I was struggling. Like, how do I, how do I present myself in a way that, like, people think that's the best message ever? <laughs> it's real. And I think we do a lot of things. I think we go out of our way and try to pretend to be this person that we're not or, or, or edit ourselves to do what maybe we'll be accepted by to get what really, what, whether you know it or not, what your heart and the very depth of it, the core of it longs for. A hole inside of you that only God can fill. And Jacob did all that he did, all that he did to be accepted, to, to maybe soften the blow, to edit who he, he knew he was. He knew he wasn't the firstborn. He was the secondborn. He knew his identity. He knew who he was called to be. And he edited and edited and edited to maybe, maybe I'll actually win this, this, this race in a circle that never ends. Maybe I'll get to the end of the tunnel that I just seem to be stuck in all for, for, because he thought when he met Esau that he was going to be met with, with violence. He thought he was going to be met with rejection. He thought he was going to be met with the consequences of his past decisions. Does that sound like anybody's story? My story? Past decisions? Man. And he did all this 
And it culminates in chapter 33, verse 4. But Esau, (laughs) come on. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. Man, I bet you Jacob was exhausted. Because it, I know this to be true that it's exhausting trying to be someone I'm not. It's exhausting trying to live up to people's expectations, it's exhausting trying to win approval of a girl. I remember that. Man, I tried for so many years. <laughs> but Esau ran to meet him. Now, there's stuff. And I think there's, I think there's, I think it could be past decisions where you feel like you have to edit yourself to make up for it. I think it's you know who, who God's called you to be. You know the things that he's called you to do. They're specific. They're intentional for you. And you just keep editing yourself, trying to run from what you know to be true. And can I tell you, but Esau for Jacob, but for you, but God. But Jesus stood in the gap John 1.14 says that word became flesh and dwelt among us. What does that mean for you? That Jesus understands what you're going through. Because he came to earth to live a life that you couldn't live perfectly, to die a death that you deserved, and rise again on the third day so that you could be free from all this so that you could be free from trying to be someone that you're not, so that you could be free from the past decisions that you've made, the decisions that you, like a record player, just keep going on and on and on in your head, and you can't seem to get over it. Jesus stood in the gap for that so that you didn't have to live that way anymore, so that you could be free from that, so that you could actually be who God's called you to be. You don't have to be this edited version of you. Can I tell you the best version of you is the God version of you, not the you version of you. Tonight is the night you stop letting yesterday's mistakes edit who you are today. Tonight's the night. Tonight's the night you stop letting people's opinions paralyze you from the plans that God has for you. Tonight's tonight. I repeat again, you are too valuable a vessel in God's hands to edit who he's made you to be. And I think for some of you, you're like, who's God called me to be? Well, for starters, child of the king, child of God, forgiven, free, Just as sure as I am that Jacob wasn't the firstborn, 
I am sure that you are forgiven. You are a child of God. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are set free from bondage. You are set free from anxiety. You are set free from depression. You are set free from people's labels on you. You're set free from parents' labels on you. You're set free from the opinions of others. You're set free from the rejection of your coaches. You're set free from the rejections of your teachers. You're set free from the rejection of your friends. You're set free from the rejection that you've received over and over again. And man, you have the approval of the God who created the universe and the God who created me and you. And not to condemn you, but to encourage you. You don't have the time to be somebody else. You don't have the time to keep editing who God's called you to be because God's called you to be you for you for a reason to do what only he's called you to do for a reason. So tonight's the night. Past decisions, not anymore. Labels, opinions, down to like, I'm going to be real with you for a second, like down to like what you wear every single day. Like, I, I, I don't even, if that's not real for any of you, it's real for me. Because, <laughs> I mean, I care way too much. God's up there thinking about eternity and thinking about souls and people, winning people for Jesus. And I'm waking up every day anxious about what people are going to think about what I wear. So don't tell me your thing's too small or too little. I'm like, yeah, that, that's not what he's talking about. No. The whole spectrum. We edit who, we, who God's called us to be. Would you pray with me? (sighs) Father, first and foremost, I thank you for sending your son. For sending Jesus. So that I could be free. That I could be forgiven. God, I pray tonight as we as we respond. God, I pray that this would not be another moment where we edit who God's called us to be. because I'm too valuable in your hands and I've got nothing to lose. So God, would you speak to us? And God, if it's past decisions, God, I pray that we would embrace the fact that we are forgiven, period. That we are set free, period. God, if it's, if it's people's opinions of us or labels of us, God, I pray that we would be set free in Jesus' name.
So we're going to worship. Keep your eyes closed. We're going to worship. But if that's you, I want you to make a, a, a bold move. I want you to come to the altar. And not because this altar is any special. Not that this carpet is any special. But God, you, God wants to do something in you to set you free from what's holding you back from being who he's called you to be. And I think for some of you, that's like even scary to come up here and be seen by others. But may you not edit yourself. When you know what God's calling you to do. So God, I pray for the people that are going to respond. God, I pray for the people who don't. God, I pray for every single person in this room. God, I pray that you would speak to them. God, I pray that you would release them from the bondage of, of caring what people think. God, I pray that you would release them from the rejection that's just been hanging over their heads. God, I pray that you would release them from all the different things, God, that have, keep, have been keeping them from being who you've called them to be. And God, I pray for the people who don't know who they're called to be. God, I pray for the people who don't know what they're called to do. God, I pray that at, the, at this altar, as we worship, God, I pray that you would speak that to them. God, I pray that you would speak dreams and visions of the future. God, I pray that you would speak uh, uh, career paths, and I pray, I pray that you would speak um, uh, dreams of, of doing something that no one's ever done. I pray that you would speak dreams of, of building, uh, building buildings that hold uh, prostitutes and hold, and hold homeless people and hold all these. I, I pray for dreams to break out in this room. God, I pray, I pray for a bunch of people who know who they're called to be and know what they're called to do because of who you are, not because of who they are, not because of what they've done, because, but because of what you've done, that you are a king who came to die so that we could be free. And so God, I pray that we would respond, not because the person to the left or the person to the right is responding, but God, because you want to speak to us. You want to do something in us. And so, God, I pray that we would respond for us so that we can have a moment and an encounter with the living God one-on-one -on -one, like Jacob was left alone to wrestle with God. I pray that wrestling matches what happened at this altar and, God, that we would leave different. In Jesus' name, amen. As you feel led, you come to this altar. You kneel, you worship. The band's going to lead us in a simple chorus, simple song. And God's going to do what only he can do.